worship. And um, by the way, before we start the message, some of you are noticing that you are seeing the screen more clearly, better than you did before, and you're thinking that your eyes weren't as bad as you thought they were. Now, if you want to believe that, go ahead and cover your hands, cover your ears with your hands, because we have a new projector, and uh, it's kind of amazing to those of us who had to squint a little bit before and uh, turn off the lights sometimes to really be able to see it. So I'm excited that uh, we got this sharp new projector, same screen, but that machine is different, and we're Excited about that. Now, if you would, uh, if you are physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word? Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. In his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He's remembered his love. And his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sounding of trumpets. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you because you are a God who is worthy of our worship. You are a God who is worthy of our praise. And Lord, we forget that. God, because you love us and you're so kind and you're so gracious and merciful, God, sometimes we forget how holy you are, how awesome you are, how powerful you are. Lord, we forget sometimes, or we drift away from the idea that, God, you are worthy of worship in everything we do. And Lord, I pray in this psalm, as we, as we look at what the ancient psalmist said, about you and about worship of you. Lord, I pray that, that our hearts would be stirred and our minds would begin to search and to think more about you and how we can worship you and what worship really means. God, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So seven things that I want us to think, but listen quickly because we'll go quickly through each one. Number one, worship is active. What is your mind when you think about worship? Does it usually involve coming, sitting in a pew, maybe standing a couple of times, and, and then kind of almost checking out? Or, you know, sometimes people think of worship as a very passive thing, and yet the Bible does not describe worship as a passive experience, but rather an active and an interactive experience between God's people and their maker. And as you look at this psalm, you're going to see, you know, go back to like fifth grade English teacher and she's identifying parts. Look at the verbs, check them out, and you'll constantly see all these words like sing, shout, burst forth, praise, and all these other verbs that are in this. And so it is not a just stand there 
kind of hope you absorb something. Rather, we are here while we will receive. Our purpose in worship is to give. Our purpose in worship is to actively engage with the God of the universe. So we begin thinking about this passage about the activity of it. That it is something that you prepare to engage. If we're on a football field, if we're at a stadium, the, the image should be of us as worshipers. We're not the ones in the stands. We're the ones down there on the field. We're the ones on the court. We're the ones actively worshiping for God, and he is our audience. So worship is active. Second reality I want us to think about is that worship is responsive. Worship is responsive. That means we didn't come up with this thing, this idea ourselves. We didn't dream it up and create it. We're not original to say, hey, I'll do this new thing and I'll just worship God out of the blue. We are responding to what God has already done in our lives and in the lives of others. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. That's an extremely important concept for us to get. That we didn't just out of our own goodness one day decide, hey, you know what? We're going to be on God's team. Rather, God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. And his spirit, as Jesus was lifted up, his spirit brought conviction upon mankind. And in response to that conviction, we enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, not only is our salvation and our initial entrance into becoming into the family of God a response... But our worship of God is also a response. It's looking at what he's done and how he does it and, and what it's all about. And when you look at this psalm, it doesn't say, worship the Lord just because. You know, worship the Lord for some random reason and we don't know. It says, worship the Lord for he has done great things. And it describes this psalm and so many of the psalms describe God's power and his glory. They describe his creation. They describe his care and nurture of creation. How he takes care of us. How he redeems us. And all the things that God does for us, these things beg for a response. They cry for a response. If there's not a response in, in, in our eyes, we would be unjust. We would be bad people. It's like if... You have a wonderful mother who loves you and can't wait to hear from you today. And you're just like, eh, I don't like to talk on Sundays. I'm just, I'm, you know, maybe I'll call her next week. That'd be very ungrateful, right? I mean, that, that would be, that'd be weird. That'd be weird. And it's just as weird if we as God's people, now all people owe God worship and response. And, but, but we who have understood, we've been blessed to become part of his family, and we should get it. It's even worse if we neglect to respond to God and to, to worship in response to what he's done. Third thing is worship is descriptive. Worship is descriptive. So we're responding to what God's done. So when we respond, that's obviously, that's going to lead us oftentimes to describe what God's done. And, and so Throughout the Bible, when you see worship, it's very particular. It is, a, it is descriptive. It's not just generic. You know, it's like, oh, worship God. He's 
you know, kind of up there or something. No, it's worship God for he has redeemed his people. He brought them out of Egypt. Worship God for he saved my soul. Worship God because of his mercy. Worship God because he's the creator. And so as we are responding to what God has done, then we're going to begin to describe what he's done. We're going to talk about what God has done. That's just natural that worship is not generic, but it's specific because we're describing how God has interacted in our lives and how he's come into our lives and worked. Now, when you look at this passage, you might have not noticed it, but it's kind of broken down into three different sections. The first three verses describe God as Savior. And so he is being described in those first three verses of Psalm 98 as as a conquering warrior who brings salvation. And so we're going to praise God in that circumstance. We're going to say, God, you are my warrior. God, you are my redeemer. You are my rescuer. God, you are the one that brought me through this fire. God, you are the one that saved me. And the next three verses focus on God being the king. And so the, the psalmist begins to describe him as the king. And, and, and if we're this psalmist and we're praying through this, we say, God, you're so majestic. God, you are glorious. God, you are on your throne. You are in control. God, you are amazing. And then the last three verses of this psalm focus on him being the righteous judge. And they're praising him. They're saying, look, one day you're going to judge all the people. One day all the wrongs. All the injustices, all the dirty deeds and and, and under the table dealings, God, you're going to take care of that. And so even as your people, while sometimes we suffer from wrongdoings in this world, we know that you're going to make it right. God, you are the righteous judge that every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to stand before one day and give an account of what they've done. And God, we praise you that you always get it right. There's never a room, there's never a need for an appeal system with God because he never misjudges. He's going to settle it all and he's going to get it right. So worship is descriptive and, and those are just three descriptions that the psalmist uses. And scripture overflows with descriptions. God is my rock. God is my redeemer. He's the, he's the son of David. Jesus is the son of David. God is my salvation. God is my horn. The, there's all these kind of descriptions that the people in the Old and New Testament give of God. Because to just say, well, God is good, that's, that's good. But it's better to describe and to say, God, this is what you've done in my life. God, when I was out of work, you are a sustainer. God, God, when I was going through that tough time in my marriage, God, you were my hope. God, when I had that, that difficulty, that physical difficulty, God, you were my healer. And, and we describe and we worship God through describing his actions and what he's done. Fourth, worship is timely. Worship is timely. If you look at the, first, the very first verse, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Sing to the Lord a new song. And you know what? If you search through the scripture, if you take some Bible software and you search for that combination of words, new song, you know you're going to find that all throughout scripture. And I, I originally, when I was first putting this sermon together, I had entitled it, God Likes New Songs. 
Now, I decided that wasn't the best title ever, but that's kind of what it started with because that's the first thing that he comes off and says, sing a new song to God. Now, that doesn't mean that we take our hymn book and say, well, you know, it doesn't have anything that's in the last 10 years. Let's chunk it. No, we have a blend of powerful things of old and new. But the idea is that constantly, because God's word, even though it was written a couple of thousand years ago or more, we understand that it is powerful and it is alive and he and his, God and his spirit are working in our lives. And because his work is constant and ongoing and we are experiencing him new in new ways, then, then we are going to constantly have new responses and new descriptions of God's word. And so while we can celebrate a 400-year-old a hymn that Martin Luther wrote back in Germany, and we can talk about a mighty fortress is our God. We can also sing some of the praise songs that we just sang that have been written in the last 5, 10, 15 years because we can think about how God did work and some of those things that happened in the lives of saints 100, 200, 300 years ago, they still resonate, but also God is still working. He's not contained in the past. And so his new work, as he continues to work in the lives of people, require that we come and we describe those new things in worship to him. So God, throughout Scripture, he's always saying, sing a new song. Not because old songs are bad, but he wants us to realize that his work is ongoing. It is relevant. It is impacting us. It's not just some story about a few thousand years ago. It's something that his spirit is doing right here today. So worship is timely. But number five, worship is timeless. Worship is timeless. I told you about how this passage was uh, really separated into three parts as far as the description of God and how he was being looked at as a, as a mighty savior and then as king and then as righteous judge. But if you look at those three parts, there's also a separation of timelines. It is the first parts about what God has done in the past. And then the next three verses are about what God is doing right now in our lives. And then those final three verses are, here's what God's going to do when he comes back. He is the future judge. He is the one who's going to make it all right in the end. And so we get this idea about worship. You know, the cool thing is when we get to heaven, we're, we're not going to be like out of date. You know, you ever feel out of date, like new songs play, and you're like, I never heard that junk before. Where, where did that come from? It, it happens very quickly to the best of us, okay? We get out of date on what pop music or the latest music is. But, you know, <clears throat> God says worship is always timely, but it's, also, it's timeless throughout time. And I can't just wait one day till we get, uh, you know, into heaven and, and we just... We start experiencing worship from all people, from all cultures, all nations of all time. We begin to sing together, and somehow, crazy enough, God's going to make that blended and beautiful. Somehow, God is going to bring it together in harmony, and I don't get it. And, you know, I guess in heaven, there's probably going to be certain types of, types of worship that I just don't, you know, care for too much, and somehow I'll appreciate them true miracle, I bet you I'm going to actually like Southern Gospel when I get to heaven. Maybe I'm going to like it. I can't, I can't take it right now, you know, but 
the thing is, we're going to have this appreciation for God and his worship, and it just always is working. It was, it is, and it's still going to be. Worship is timeless. Sixth, worship is diverse. Worship is diverse. Think about all the different ways that worship is described. By the way, are y'all thinking about any points that I'm not saying? Let your mind be going now. Be thinking about what, what else you would have to say about worship if you were given this message. But worship is diverse. Worship is not boxed into some little denominational or group setting or, or that we worship you know, this one way in our culture. Worship is incredibly diverse, and scriptures testify to that. There's singing, there's shouting, there's making a joyful noise, there's playing that trumpet, there's playing that lyre, there's playing all these other instruments. And, you know, we get into some other psalms, and, and we hear there's sometimes when worship is even a little bit uh, it's, it's more serious and somber. Sometimes it's celebrative. Sometimes it's more in the, the, the reverent mode or the slow mode. Or maybe even we even worship as we grieve. You know that? That is still worship as we come to the Lord. Even there are times of sorrow and, and sickness and, and even the times of doubt where we're saying, God, I don't get this, but God, I want to get this. God, I'm struggling to believe. Lord, help me to believe. That is worship as well. And worship isn't done just in one little way. We get so caught up in one little way, don't we? I used to pastor in a county where there were two separate churches just about a mile down the road from each other. And they were called Friendship and Fellowship. Now, those are really great churches, right? Guess what? They came from a church split. All right? Friendship and Fellowship. I can't remember if the friends or the fellows, which one left the other. But they were really mad because it was like modern music was invading the church. And some people really got in a huff and left because they had actually... Uh, they had the temerity, they had the gall to bring an organ into the church. Okay, this is the late 1800s. And so fellowship people and friendship people, apparently they both want to be thought of as the nicer ones, but they split off each other. And I thought, how crazy is that? that organ split a group of believers because we get so wrapped up in us and our little preferences rather than the fact it's about God. And if God created us, as varied, as different, as multifaceted as he did, then he wants to see worship that diverse as well. He wants us to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth, but also through our own personalities as he has individually made us. And so when you worship the Lord, that's awesome. And, but, you know, if someone else does it a little bit differently, if the, they like the, the, the pace a little bit slower or faster, or maybe they like an instrument and you don't, that's okay. God is okay with that, and so you can be okay with that. And sometimes worship is quiet. Sometimes the Word tells us to be still and know that I'm God. And other times he says, shout to the Lord. Worship can be all kinds of different things, and we need to realize that it's not our just little version of it, but God who's created an incredibly diverse uh, earth and world and people that he has worship that's just as diverse. And finally, building on that, worship is universal. Worship is universal. Do you know that we were created to worship? That was put in us. I don't know if it's somewhere in the DNA. I don't know if it's somewhere in the, the spirit or soul. I don't know if we'll ever discover what it is. But there's something in us that we are, we are prone to worship. 
Do you know that cultures all over have forms of worship? Whoever just created, whether they find the, their way to Jehovah God, the God of the Bible or not, there is worship is just a universal thing. And you know what you find out? Those folks who say, well, I, I don't worship, I don't believe in a God. They quickly become gods themselves. They worship their own thought and their own way of doing things. But worship is just a natural tendency, a natural impulse that God created us with. All peoples were designed to worship. You know, he describes in the, the early verses of this chapter, the psalmist. And again, we don't even know who it was. A lot of them were, you know, were written by David. Some of them were written by others. This one doesn't tell us. It just says a psalm. The psalmist talked about how God had remembered his promises to Israel. And so you're kind of like, well, that's, that's good. You know, that's, that's good that God did something that the Israelites could celebrate. But then he goes on to say, so that the whole world could see his salvation. You know, the idea was never that God chose the Jewish people because he only loved them. He chose them to serve and to be a light so that the whole world might be aware of his glory. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that God loves you more than anybody else. God has entered into your life. You've received that, that gift of salvation. And guess what? You are to be a light. Just like the Israelite people, just like that Jewish nation was to be a light to the world, you are to be a light to the world around you. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God wants to bless you. Yes, God wants to do amazing things in your life. He wants to make you more like Jesus, which sometimes means things get a little easy, but lots of times it means things get kind of hard because God's got to rub off some rough edges. But whatever God is doing in your life to make you more like Jesus, he's doing that for you, but also for his kingdom and for the people who don't yet know him. You're to be a light. Worship is so universal that he talks about in this passage, the psalmist says, to the ends of the earth, no matter where you can go, north, south, east, west, remote or gigantic metropolis, worship is for all. In fact, he even goes beyond that and he talks about creation worshiping. He talks about clapping the sea. Clapping. Some of y'all, okay, I don't have to clap. He talked about the sea clapping, but he talked about the mountains and the seas and all of creation worshiping. Remember when Jesus was entering the city, Palm Sunday, and the folks were, they were worshiping. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the, the naysayers said, Rabbi, tell them to be quiet. And he said, if they didn't shout it out, the rocks would. It's because all of creation is designed to worship. In fact, the Bible tells us that all of creation does worship. All of creation, day after day, the heavens declare the glories of God. And if you get to looking and you get to thinking and analyzing and just just opening yourself to it for just a moment, you see the glory of God every day in his creation. In fact, the only thing in creation that doesn't worship God the way that it should is human beings. When we fail to give God his due, his glory, and his credit. So, we've run through them. We've talked fast. Hopefully you came up with some extra things that I didn't mention because these seven are just the beginning. But there's so much about worship. 
It's more than just putting on dress clothes, getting in the car, and coming to a familiar location the first day of the week. It's about showing God his due in all of these different ways and so much more that Scripture teaches. Would you join me in prayer? God, we come to you, and Lord, we're thankful. God, that you've done so much for us. And not only does that... um, necessitate a desire for us to worship but God you know we're clueless and so you teach us about worship your word describes how the saints of old both in the New Testament and Old Testament how men and women over hundreds and even thousands of years have worshiped you and it is an inspiration to us and father help us to remember That worship is not something we just show up to and we sit and and soak. But God, rather it is an active act, an active deed on our part where we choose to honor and glorify you. Lord, help us to be excited about you and what you've done for us. Lord, help us to be aware of the God you are and how powerful and how wonderful you are. Lord, be with us now as we sing this next song and as we reflect on uh, your goodness and your kindness and, God, that you are a God that's worthy of worship. May we truly worship you. And, Lord, may we respond very clearly and obediently to anything that you've put on our hearts, anything that's come up, something we've been putting off or something we've resisted whether that's beginning something new for you, whether that's letting go of a sin, whether that is going and making a relationship right, asking for forgiveness or forgiving. Maybe it's simply entering into a relationship with you, God. Maybe there's somebody here today who's been running from you. Maybe they've kind of faked it, or maybe they've just really never entered into a relationship with you. And God, today they want to quietly say to you, God, here I am. I'm yours. I trust you. I receive your salvation. God, maybe somebody wants to make public what you've been doing in their life. I don't know. God, whatever it is, help us to be obedient to you. And help us to glorify you as we worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.